Mr. Chief Justice. Members of the Senate, good morning. Again, my name is Michael Purpura. I serve as Deputy Counsel to the President. It is my honor and privilege to appear before you today on behalf of Pre President Donald J. Trump. And what is the President's response? Well, it reads like a classic organized crime shakedown. Shorn of its rambling character and in not so many words, this is the essence of what the President communicates. We've been very good to your country, very good. No other country has done as much as we have. But you know what? I don't see much reciprocity here. I hear what you want. I have a favor I want from you, though. And I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it. On this and on that, I'm going to put you in touch with people, and not just any people. I'm going to put you in touch with Attorney General of the United States, my Attorney General, Bill Barr. He's got the whole weight of the American law enforcement behind him. And I'm going to put you in touch with Rudy. You're going to love him, trust me. You know what I'm asking, and so I'm only going to say this a few more times, in a few more ways. And by the way, don't call me again. I'll call you when you've done what I asked. This is, in sum and character, what the President was trying to communicate. That's fake. That's not the real call. That's not the evidence here. That's not the transcript that Mr. Cipollone just referenced. And we can shrug it off and say we were making light or a joke. But that was in a hearing in the United States House of Representatives discussing the removal of the President of the United States from office. There are very few things, if any, that can be as grave and as serious. Let's stick with the evidence. Let's talk about the facts and the evidence in this case. The most important piece of evidence we have in the case and before you is the one that we began with nearly four months ago, the actual transcript of the July 25, 2019 telephone call between President Trump and President Zelensky, the real transcript. If that were the only evidence we had, it would be enough to show that the Democrats' entire theory is completely unfounded. But the transcript is far from the only evidence demonstrating that the President did nothing wrong. Once you sweep away all of the bluster and innuendo, the selective leaks, the closed-door examinations of the Democrats' hand-picked witnesses, the staged public hearings, what we're left with are six key facts that have not and will not change. First, the transcript shows that the President did not condition either security assistance or a meeting on anything. The paused security assistance funds aren't even mentioned on the call. Second, 
President Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials have repeatedly said that there was no quid pro quo and no pressure on them to review anything. Third, President Zelensky and high-ranking Ukrainian officials did not even know, did not even know. The security assistance was paused until the end of August, over a month after the July 25 call. Fourth, not a single witness testified that the President himself said that there was any connection between any investigations and security assistance, a presidential meeting, or anything else. Fifth, the security assistance flowed on September 11, and a presidential meeting took place on September 25, without the Ukrainian government announcing any investigations. Finally, the Democrats' blind drive to impeach the President does not and cannot change the fact, as attested to by the Democrats' own witnesses, that President Trump has been a better friend and stronger supporter of Ukraine than his predecessor. Those are the facts. We plan to address some of them today and some of them next week. Each one of these six facts, standing alone, is enough to sink the Democrats' case. Combined, they establish what we've known since the beginning. The President did absolutely nothing wrong. The Democrats' allegation that the President engaged in a quid pro quo is unfounded and contrary to the facts. The truth is simple, and it's right before our eyes. The President was at all times acting in our national interest and pursuant to his oath of office. But before I dive in and speak further about the facts, let me mention something that my colleagues will discuss in greater detail. The facts that I'm about to discuss today are the Democrats' facts. This is important because the House manager spoke to you for a very long time, over 21 hours, and have repeatedly claimed to you that their case is, and their evidence is overwhelming and uncontested. It's not. I'm going to share a number of facts with you this morning that the House managers didn't share with you during more than 21 hours. I'll ask you, as Mr. Cipollone already mentioned, that when you hear me say something that the House managers didn't present to you, ask yourself, why didn't they tell me that? Is that something I would have liked to have known? Why am I hearing it for the first time from the President's lawyers? It's not because they didn't have enough time, that's for sure. They only showed you a very selective part of the record, their record. And they, remember this, they have the very heavy burden of proof before you. The President is forced to mount a defense in this chamber against a record that the Democrats developed. The record that we have to go on today is based entirely on House Democratic facts pre-cleared in, in a basement bunker. Not mostly, entirely. Yet even those facts absolutely exonerate the President. Let's start with the transcript. The President did not link security assistance to any investigations on the July 25 call. Let's step back. On July 25, President Trump 
called President Zelensky. This was their second phone call. Both were congratulatory. On April 21st, President Trump called to congratulate President Zelensky on winning the presidential election. On July 25, the president called because President Zelensky's party had just won a large number of seats in parliament. On September 24, before Speaker Pelosi had any idea what President Trump and President Zelensky actually said on the July 25 call, she called for an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. In the interest of full transparency and to show that he had done nothing wrong, President Trump took the unprecedented, unprecedented step of declassifying the call transcript so that the American people could see for themselves exactly what the two presidents discussed. So, what did President Trump say to President Zelensky on the July 25 call? President Trump raised two issues. I'm going to be speaking about those two issues a fair amount this morning. They're the two issues that go to the core of how President Trump approaches foreign aid. When it comes to sending U.S. taxpayer money overseas, the President is focused on burden sharing and corruption. First, the President, rightly, had real concerns about whether European and other countries were contributing their fair share to ensuring Ukraine's security. Second, corruption. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine has suffered from one of the worst environments for corruption in the world. A parade of witnesses testified in the House about the pervasive corruption in Ukraine and how it is in America's foreign policy and national security interests to help Ukraine combat corruption. Turning to the call, right off the bat, President Trump mentioned burden sharing to President Zelensky. President Trump told President Zelensky that Germany does almost nothing for you, and a lot of European countries are the same way. President Trump specifically mentioned speaking to Angela Merkel of Germany, whom he said talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. President Zelensky agreed. You are absolutely right. He said that he spoke with the leaders of, Ger of Germany and France and told them that they are not doing quite as much as they need to be doing. So right at the beginning of the call, President Trump was talking about burden sharing. President Trump then turned to corruption in the form of foreign interference in the 2016 presidential election. There is absolutely nothing wrong with asking a foreign leader to help get to the bottom of all forms of foreign interference in an American presidential election. You'll hear more about that later from one of my colleagues. What else did the president say? The president also warned President Zelensky that he appeared to be surrounding himself with some of the same people as his predecessor and suggested that a very fair and very good prosecutor was shut down by some very bad people. Again, one of my colleagues will speak more about that. The content of the July 25 call was in line with the Trump administration's legitimate concerns about corruption and reflected the hope that President Zelensky, who campaigned on a platform of reform, would finally clean up Ukraine. So what did President Trump and President Zelensky discuss in the July 25 call? Two issues, burden sharing, corruption. Just as importantly, what wasn't discussed on the July 25 call? There was no discussion of the paused security assistance on the July 25 call. House Democrats keep pointing to President Zelensky's statement that I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. 
but he wasn't talking there about the pause security assistance. He tells us in the very next sentence exactly what he was talking about, Javelin missiles. We are ready, President Zelensky continues, to continue to cooperate for the next step specifically. We are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. Javelins are the anti-tank missiles only made available to the Ukrainians by President Trump. President Obama refused to give javelins to the Ukrainians for years. Javelin sales were not part, were not part of the security assistance that had been paused at the time of the call. Javelin sales have nothing to do with the paused security assistance. Those are different programs entirely. But don't take my word for it. Both former Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Ivanovich and NSC Senior Director Timothy Morrison confirmed that the Javelin missiles and the security assistance were unrelated. The House managers didn't tell you about Ambassador Yovanovitch's and Tim Morrison's testimony. Why not? They couldn't have taken two to five minutes out of 21 hours to make sure you understood that the Javelin sales being discussed were not part of the pause security assistance. This puts the following statement by President Trump in a whole new light, doesn't it? I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. As everyone knows by now, President Trump asked President Zelensky to do us a favor. And he made clear that us referred to our country and not himself. More importantly, the president was not connecting. Do us a favor to the javelin sales that President Zelensky mentioned. It makes no sense in the, in the language there. But even if he had been, the javelin sales were not part of the security assistance that had been temporarily paused. I want to be very clear about this. When the House Democrats claim that the javelin sales discussed on the July 25 call are part of the pause security assistance, it is misleading. They are trying to confuse you and just sort of wrap everything in instead of unpacking it the right way. There was no mention of the pause security assistance on the call and certainly not from President Trump. As you know, head of state calls are staffed by a number of aides on both sides. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a detailee at the National Security Council, raised a concern about the call. And that was just a policy concern. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman admitted that he did not know whether there was a crime or anything of that nature, but he had deep policy concerns. Policy concerns. So there you have it. But the president, the president sets the foreign policy. In a democracy such as ours, the elected leaders make foreign policy, while the unelected staff, such as Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, implement the policy. Other witnesses were on the July 25 call and had very different reactions than that of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, National Security Advisor to the Vice President, former Acting National Security Advisor, and a long-serving and highly decorated veteran attended the call. According to General Kellogg, I was on the much-reported July 25 call between President Donald Trump and President Zelensky. As an exceedingly proud member of the Trump administration, of President Trump's administration, and as a 34-year highly experienced combat veteran who retired with the rank of Lieutenant General in the Army, I heard nothing wrong or improper on the call. I had 
and have no concerns. The House managers said that other witnesses were also troubled by the July 25 call and identified those witnesses as Jennifer Williams and Tim Morrison. Jennifer Williams, who works for Lieutenant General Kellogg, now claims that she has concerns about the call. You heard that from the House managers. They were very careful in the way they worded that. What they didn't tell you is that Ms. Williams was so troubled at the time of the call that she told exactly zero people of her concern. She told no one for two months following the call, not one person. Ms. Williams didn't raise any concerns about the call when it took place, not with Lieutenant General Kellogg, not with counsel, not with anyone. Ms. Williams waited to announce her concerns until Speaker Pelosi publicly announced her impeachment inquiry. The House managers didn't tell you that. Why not? Tim Morrison, who is Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's boss, was also on the call. Mr. Morrison reported the call to the National Security Council lawyers not because he was troubled by anything on the call, but because he was worried about leaks, and in his words, how it would play out in Washington's polarized environment. I want to be clear, Mr. Morrison testified, I was not concerned that anything illegal was discussed. Mr. Morrison further testified that there was nothing improper and nothing illegal about anything that was said on the call. In fact, Mr. Morrison repeatedly testified that he disagreed with Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's assessment that President Trump made demands of President Zelensky, or that he said anything improper at all. Here's Mr. Morrison. In that transcript, does the President not ask Zelensky to look into the Bidens? Mr. Chairman, I can only tell you what I was thinking at the time. That is not what I understood the President to be doing. Do you believe in your opinion that the President of the United States demanded that President Zelensky undertake these investigations? No, sir. And you didn't hear the President make a demand, did you? No, sir. Again, there were no demands from your perspective, Mr. Morrison. That is correct, sir. But is it fair to say that uh, as you were listening to the call, you weren't thinking, wow, the president's, uh, president is bribing the president of Ukraine? That never crossed your mind? It did not, sir. Or that he was extorting the president of the Ukraine? It did or, not, sir. Or doing anything improper? Correct, sir. Significantly, the Ukrainian government never raised any concerns about the July 25 call. Just hours after the call, Ambassador William Taylor, head of the U.S. mission in Ukraine, had dinner with then, the then Secretary of the Ukrainian National Security and Defense Council, who seemed to think that the call went fine, the call went well, he wasn't disturbed by anything. The House managers didn't tell you that. Why not? Ambassador Kurt Volker, the U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine, was not on the call. But Ambassador Volker spoke regularly with President Zelensky and other top officials in the Ukraine government, and even met with President Zelensky the day after the call. He testified that in no way, shape, or form, in either the readouts from the United States or Ukraine, did he receive any indication whatsoever for anything that resembles a quid pro quo on the July 25 call. Here's Ambassador Volker. And in fact, the day after the call, you met with President Zelensky. This would be on July 26th. That's correct. And in that meeting, 
He made no mention of quid pro quo. No. He made no mention of withholding the aid. No. He made no mention of bribery. No. So the fact is that Ukrainians were not even aware of this hold on aid. Is that correct? That's correct. They didn't tell you about this testimony from Ambassador Volker. Why not? President Zelensky himself has confirmed on at least three separate occasions that his July 25 call with President Trump was a good phone call and normal and that nobody pushed me. When President Zelensky's advisor, Andrei Yermak, was asked if he had ever felt there was a connection between the U.S. military aid and the request for investigations, he was adamant that we never had that feeling and we did not have the feeling that this aid was connected to any one specific issue. Of course, the best evidence that there was no pressure or quid pro quo is the statements of the Ukrainians themselves. The fact that President Zelensky himself felt no pressure on the call and did not perceive there to be any connection between security assistance and investigations would, in any ordinary case, in any court, be totally fatal to the prosecution. The judge would throw it out, the case would be over, what more do you need to know? The House team knows that. They know the record inside out, upside down, left and right. So what do they do? How do they try to overcome the direct words from President Zelensky and his administration that they felt no pressure? They tell you that the Ukrainians must have felt pressure, regardless of what they've said. They try to overcome the devastating evidence against them by, apparently, claiming to be mind readers. They know what's in President Zelensky's mind better than President Zelensky does. President Zelensky said he felt no pressure. The House managers tell you they know better. And this is really a theme of the House case. I want you to remember this. Every time the Democrats say that President Trump made demands or issued a quid pro quo to President Zelensky on the July 25 call, they are saying that President Zelensky and his top advisors are being untruthful. And they acknowledge what the, that's what they're saying. They've said it over the past few days. Tell me how that helps, tell me how that helps U.S. foreign policy and national security to say that about our friends. We know there was no quid pro quo on the call. We know that from the transcript. But the call is not the only evidence showing that there was no quid pro quo. There couldn't possibly have been a quid pro quo because the Ukrainians did not even know that the security assistance was on hold until it was reported in the media by Politico at the end of August, more than a month after the July 25 call. Think about this. The Democrats accused the President of leveraging security assistance to supposedly force President Zelensky to announce investigations. But how can that possibly be when the Ukrainians were not even aware that the security assistance was paused? There can't be a threat without the person knowing he's being threatened. There can't be a quid pro quo without the quo. Ambassador Volker testified that the Ukrainians did not know about the hold until reading about it in Politico. Ambassador Taylor and Tim Morrison both agreed. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kent 
testified that no Ukrainian official contacted him about the paused security assistance until that first intense week in September. Let's hear from the four of them. I believe the Ukrainians became aware of the hold on August 29th and not before. That date is the first time any of them asked me about the hold by forwarding an article that had been published in Politico. It was only after August 29th, when the political argument, that I got calls from, the, from several of the Ukrainian officials. You mentioned the August 28th Politico article. Was that the first time that you believe the Ukrainians may have um, had a real sense that the aid was on hold? Yes. Mr. Kent, had you had any Ukrainian official contacting you concerned about, when was the first time a Ukrainian official contacted you concerned about potential withholding of USAID? It was after the article in Political came out uh, in that first intense week of September. That it wasn't until the, the Politico article that... That's correct. I received a text message uh, from one of my Ukrainian counterparts on August 29th forwarding that article, and that's the first they raised it with me. The House managers didn't show you this testimony from any of these four witnesses. Why not? Why didn't they give you the context of this testimony? And think about this as well. If the Ukrainians had been aware of the review on security assistance, they of course would have said something. There were numerous high-level diplomatic meetings between senior Ukrainian and U.S. officials during the summer, after the review on the security assistance began, but before President Zelensky learned of the hold through the Politico article. If the Ukrainians had known about the hold, they would have raised it in one of those meetings. Yet the Ukrainians didn't say anything about the hold at a single one of those meetings. Not on July 9, not on July 10, not on July 25, not on July 26, not on August 27. At none of those meetings, none of those meetings, did the Ukrainians mention the pause on security assistance. Ambassador Volker testified that he was regularly in touch with the senior highest level officials in the Ukrainian government. And Ukrainian officials would confide things and would have asked if they had any questions about the aid. Nobody said a word to Ambassador Volker until the end of August. Then within hours of the Politico article being published, Mr. Yermak texted Ambassador Volker with a link to the article and to ask about the report. In other words, as soon as the Ukrainians learned about the hold, they asked about it. Now, Mr. Schiff said something during the 21 hours or more than 21 hours that he and his team spoke that I actually agree with, which is when he talked about common sense. Many of us at the tables and in the room are former prosecutors at the state, federal, or military level. Prosecutors talk a lot about common sense. Common sense comes into play right here. The top Ukrainian officials said nothing, nothing at all, to their U.S. counterparts during all of these meetings about the pause on security assistance. But then, boom, as soon as the Politico article comes out, suddenly, in that first intense week of September, in George Kent's words, security assistance was all they wanted to talk about. What must we conclude if we're using our common sense? That they didn't know about the pause 
until the Politico article on August 28th. No activity before, article comes out, flurry of activity. That's common sense, and it's absolutely fatal to the House manager's case. The House managers are aware that the Ukrainians' lack of knowledge on the hold is fatal to their case, and so they've desperately tried to muddy the water. The managers told you that Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Laura Cooper presented two, me two emails, two emails that people on her staff received from people at the State Department regarding conversations with people at the Ukraine Embassy that could have been about U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. What they did not tell you is that Ms. Cooper testified that she could not say for certain whether the emails were about the pause on security assistance. She couldn't say one way or the other. She also testified that she didn't want to speculate about the meaning of the words in the emails. The House managers also didn't tell you, Ms. Cooper testified that I reviewed my calendar and the only meeting where I can recall a Ukrainian official raising the issue of security assistance with me is on September 5th at the Ukrainian Independence Day celebration. The House managers didn't tell you that. The House managers also mentioned that one of Ambassador Volker's, one of Ambassador Volker's advisors, Catherine Croft, claimed that the Ukrainian embassy officials learned about the pause earlier than the political article. But when asked when she heard from the Ukraine embassy officials, Ms. Croft admitted that she can't remember those specifics and did not think that she took notes. Ms. Croft also did not remember when news of the hold became public. Remember, though, that Ambassador Volker, her boss, who was in regular contact with President Zelensky and the top Ukrainian aides, was very clear that I believe the Ukrainians became aware of the hold on August 29th and not before. This is all the House managers have. In contrast to the testimony of Volker, Taylor, Morrison, and Kent. The text from Yermak, the words of the high-ranking Ukrainians themselves, and the flurry of activity that began on August 28th. And that's the evidence that they want you to consider as a basis to remove the duly elected President of the United States. The bottom line is it is not possible for the brief security assistance review to have been used as leverage when President Zelensky and other top Ukrainian officials did not know about it. That's what you need to know. That's what the House managers didn't tell you. The House managers know how important this issue is. When we briefly mentioned it a few days ago, they told us we needed to check our facts. We did. We're right. President Zelensky and his top aides did not know about the pause on security assistance at the time of the July 25 call and did not know about it until August 28 when the Politico article was published. We know there was no quid pro quo on the July 25 call. We know the Ukrainians did not know that security assistance had been paused at the time of the call. There is simply no evidence anywhere that President Trump ever linked security assistance to any investigations. Most of the Democrats' witnesses have never spoken to the President at all, let alone about Ukraine security assistance. The two people in the House record who asked President Trump about whether there was any linkage between security assistance and investigations were told in no uncertain terms that there's no connection between the two. When Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland asked the President in approximately the September 9 timeframe 
The president told him, I want nothing, I want nothing, I want no quid pro quo. Even earlier, on August 31, Senator Ron Johnson asked the president if there was any connection between security assistance and investigations. The president answered, no way. I would never do that. Who told you that? Two witnesses, Ambassador Taylor and Tim Morrison, said they came to believe security assistance was linked to investigations. But both witnesses based this belief entirely on what they heard from Ambassador Sondland before Ambassador Sondland spoke to the president. Neither Taylor nor Morrison ever spoke to the president about the matter. How did Ambassador Sondland come to believe that there was any connection between security assistance and investigations? Again, the House managers didn't tell you. Why not? In his public testimony, Ambassador Sondland used variations of the words assume, presume, guess, speculate, and belief over 30 times. Here are some examples. That was my presumption, my personal presumption. That was my belief. That was my presumption, yeah. Is that I right? said I presume that might have to be done in order to get the aid released. It was a presumption. I've been very clear as to when I was presuming, and I was presuming on the aid. It would be pure, um, you know, guesswork on my part, speculation, I don't, I don't know. That was the problem, Mr. Goldman. No one told me directly that the aid was tied to anything. I was presuming it was. I didn't show you any of this testimony, not once during their 21-hour presentation. 21 hours, more than 21 hours. And they couldn't give you the context to evaluate Ambassador Sondland. All the Democrats have to support the alleged link between security assistance and investigations is Ambassador Sondland's assumptions and presumptions. We remember this exchange. Is it correct no one on this planet told you that Donald Trump was tying this aid to the investigations? Because if your answer is yes, then the chairman's wrong and the headline on CNN is wrong. No one on this planet told you that President Trump was tying aid to investigations. Yes or no? Yes. So, you really have no testimony today that ties President Trump to a scheme to withhold aid from Ukraine in exchange for these investigations? Other than my own presumption. When he was done presuming, assuming, and guessing, Ambassador Sondland finally decided to ask President Trump directly, what does the President want from Ukraine? Here's the answer. President Trump, when I asked him the open-ended question, as I testified previously, what do you want from Ukraine? His answer was, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. That's all I got from President Trump. The president was unequivocal. Ambassador Sondland stated that this was the final word he heard from the president of the United States. And once he learned this, he text messaged Ambassadors Taylor and Volcker. The president has been crystal clear, no quid pro quos of any kind. If you are skeptical of Ambassador Sondland's testimony, it was corroborated by the statement of one of your colleagues, Senator Johnson. Senator Johnson also had heard from Ambassador Sondland that the security assistance might be linked to the investigations. So on August 31, Senator Johnson asked the President directly, 
whether there was some kind of arrangement where Ukraine would take some action and the hold would be lifted. Again, President Trump's answer was crystal clear. No way. I would never do that. Who told you that? As Senator Johnson wrote, I have accurately characterized his reaction as adamant, vehement, and angry. They didn't tell you about Senator Johnson's letter. Why not? The Democrats' entire quid pro quo theory is based on nothing more than the initial speculation of one person, Ambassador Sondland. That speculation is wrong. Despite the Democrats' hopes, the ambassador's mistaken belief does not become true merely because he repeated it many times and apparently to many people. Under Secretary of State David Hale, George Kent and Ambassador Volcker all testified that there was no connection whatsoever between security assistance and investigations. Here is Ambassador Volcker. You had a meeting with the President of the United States, and you believe that the policy issues that he raised concerning Ukraine were valid, correct? Yes. Did the President of the United States ever say to you that he was not going to allow aid for the United States to go to the Ukraine unless there were investigations into Burisma, the Bidens, or the 2016 elections? No, he did not. Did the Ukrainians ever tell you that they understood that they would not get a meeting with the President of the United States, a phone call with the President of the United States, military aid or foreign aid from the United States unless they undertook investigations of Burisma, the Bidens, or the 2016 elections? No, they did not. The House managers never told you any of this. Why not? Why didn't they show you this testimony? Why didn't they tell you about this testimony? Why didn't they put Ambassador Sondland's testimony in its full and proper context for your consideration? Because none of this fits their narrative, and it wouldn't lead to their predetermined outcome. Thank you for your attention. I yield to Mr. Sekulow.